You're listening to Wastoids. Hey, you're listening to Wastoids, recording live from 850 West Lincoln. I'm Jason Woodbury, and today I'm on the line with Kiefer, an inventive pianist. He's a veteran of the Los Angeles scene, mixing jazz, electronic music, and beats on projects like his recent Between Days EP and his new album, When There's Love Around. Layering full band instrumentation with synths and upright piano, he's reflective of a musical scene that borrows and blends from new age, jazz, 70s soul, funk, post-Dilla crate-digging beats, and ambient soundscapes. His work recently caught the ear of Drake producer Forty, who commissioned some piano sketches for Drake's certified lover boy. We caught up with him for this episode of Strange Gear to discuss his creative outlook and how he incorporates synthesizers into his work, namely the Prophet 600, and discuss the value of working on art even when, sometimes especially when, you don't feel like it. Kiefer is ready to hit the road with dates in Texas, the West Coast, and the Midwest. So head over to Wastoids.com to get a look at his upcoming itinerary and check out his new record on Stone's Throw. All right. Well, thanks so much for hanging out with us here on uh, Wastoids. You've had an extremely busy 2021 so far. Not only did you release Between Days, which... I guess technically is an EP, but it's almost like a full album, right? Yeah, almost. Uh, so you did that, uh, which featured your great Cure cover, but then you've just released uh, When There's Love Around. So I'm curious, do you, do you normally have this much music saved up and ready to go, or has it just been an especially busy year for you? Yeah, I've always had a lot of music in the rotation that I've made. In a typical year, I make an idea every day. And so by the end of the year, I have a few hundred ideas to pick from. And I only really obviously pick 12 or so a year. But you know, oddly enough, this year, I actually made the least amount of ideas I've ever made. But you know, because the studio, the, the album was a studio album, you know, we were knocking out you know, four or five ideas in a day and then maybe did, I think between around 15, I would say 14 or 15 studio dates. So the studio album, there was like probably between 40 and 60 ideas. And we ended up using 12 from that. So even though I made less stuff this year, uh, we, my output was greater. Um, but yeah, I guess, so I guess that's a long answer for, yes, I do. I make a lot of stuff. <laughs> you you try to do an idea every single day. Uh, what kind of discipline does a practice like that require? I'm sure there are days where you just think to yourself, I do not feel like sitting down and trying to come up with something right now. Yeah, um, I think that it takes a lot of uh, discipline. And, um, you know, I, that's what I think creativity is about a lot of the time. I think so, a lot of people think creativity is like divine intervention or something that like, you know, uh, something's going to just lightning's going to strike and the idea is just going to pop in your head. And then you're just going to channel that and that you can't force creativity or something. I think that's what people think. But for me, I think that's not, I don't think that's what creativity is. I think creativity is when you don't feel like it. Creativity is when the ideas aren't coming to you, right? Creativity is what happens when there's traffic. 
You're never going to drive a different way home if there's never any traffic. Creativity doesn't happen when things are coming to you easily. Then you then I just drive the same way home every single day and on autopilot. Being on autopilot isn't creative. Creativity to me is when is when yeah, is when you don't feel like coming into work and you work anyways and then usually on those days where stuff doesn't feel good and you had to do things backwards because your, your beat sucked. And then you had to use a sound that you never used before. And then you had to make a groove you never made before. And then you had to layer sounds that you never layered together before. And then th that's what creativity is. And then the next day you come back and you're like, Whoa, what the hell is this? This is crazy. This is like, so, so whenever I don't feel like making music that usually kind of in a counter to a counterintuitive way, I have this thought of like, Oh shit, this is actually a great reason for me to get down and, and start working on stuff. Yeah. Cause I don't feel like I'm going to do some shit backwards today. Yeah. You know, I love that. I have to like, say no layups, no layups. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, 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 it takes work. Sometimes you have to figure, you have to give it space. Uh, do you find, do you find totally. that it's like, uh, do, do new sounds trigger the most sort of uh momentum for you is it do things usually start sort of on like a like a sound level especially when you're working with like you you alluded to working with tools that are different than your normal setup um does sort of the novelty of of a new tone or a new sound often lead you down an interesting path musically yeah certainly it can um it, that it doesn't happen for me that often um, but it absolutely can. Um, I think, you know, that being said, you know, I am a piano player and, uh, you know, it's funny, like, um, you know, some, some producers never use presets really. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, everyone does, but, um, they don't use presets as often as some others. And they think like, you know, that every single beat, they got to have a new sound every single time, you know? Um, all right. But, but I don't think there's anything wrong with using presets. I mean, no one hates on Oscar Peterson for playing the same piano every, you know, he plays the same tone every single night. He's a pianist. <laughs> so I'm a pianist. I love, I also love presets. I love playing the same tones all the time. I think that there's a lot to be said for playing an instrument, even if it's the same tone from track to track, to track, to track, to track. And obviously as a pianist, my main instrument is the piano and I have the same the same, I mean, it's, it's the same upright. It's not even a digital sound where I can choose a different sound. It's literally the same upright on almost every single track I've ever released. So I, I think there's also a lot to be said for, you know, using the same sound over and over and over again. But that being said, yeah, I do occasionally use something new and it can, it can take me in a different direction. It's, it's, it's really fascinating to hear you talk about sort of getting different results out of the same tools or uh the the sort of the the hard-nosed part of forcing yourself to create it sounds like limitations and sort of the 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 strictures you put on structure that you put around what you're doing and and the the limitations oftentimes lead to where you want to go yeah i think uh, uh creativity comes from limits it comes from discomfort it comes from you know uh, you know it comes from yeah, there's a Duke Ellington quote, an artist is defined by their limits, you know, how do you, yeah, and then, then that, that's what forces creativity. That being said, if shit's coming to me easy, I might, I might do that too, but, you know, I also like the things, because that, doesn't that just, doesn't that just sound more creative, doesn't it? I mean, just, just thinking of it backwards like that, it's already so much more interesting to me than just, oh, creativity is when you feel like it and it's when it's easy. What? I don't know, I, 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 I don't know, I'm, I'm different. 
Well, that that puts you at the mercy of the muse all the time, right? Like you never, right. you know, and sometimes uh, schedules don't line up with inspiration. You know, there's stuff that has to get done. It's the same way deadlines are helpful, you know, in projects oh. because you have, to, you have to know when to stop. And, and in a way that can feel like a limitation or a, a restraint, but a constraint rather, but it, but it, it isn't, you know, you have to, you have to have that stuff in place in order to, to make something. Yeah. I got, I got two things with that. Uh, that, that I totally agree with that. Number one, um, you know, there's a Leonardo da Vinci quote, which is that all art is abandoned. No art is finished. <laughs> yeah. You know, nothing will ever be perfect. Nothing will ever be done. It's really an arbitrary and artistic choice when you finish something. Every single song I've ever finished, there's a moment that I could have, where I stopped, but I could have spent five more minutes on it. And I was like, you know what? Right now. I'm not going to do 10 more seconds right now. It's not perfect. It never will be, but right now is good. So I love that quote. All art is abandoned. And then, um, you know, and then I remember um, speaking of Da Vinci, I remember one time I was on Twitter and I got into this little spat with uh, someone about, um, you know, how I think, I think if you're a producer, you should make a ton of stuff. And I think that, you know, I make an idea every day, but the producers I know make a lot more. And, um, and I was just saying, making a, an argument for, you know, on, on behalf of making a ton of shit. And then someone said, well, you Kiefer, you can't rush art. Isn't that rushing art? If you're just like, you know, going quantity over quality all the time. And then he said, Leonardo da Vinci took four years to paint the Mona Lisa. And I was like, do you think that's the only thing he did the whole time? What's funny, what's ironic is that Leonardo da Vinci is famous for his sketchings as well, of which there are tens of thousands of them that we know of. So, I, yeah, I think you, yeah, you have to make a lot of stuff and you've got to let it go. You've got to choose a time for it to be done. And, um, and then the other, the other thing, um, with that was the, just, just playing with the idea of like deadlines, you your life is a deadline, right? You've only got limited amount of time to do anything. Yeah. I think a lot of people talk about sacrificing art as like, it's a bad thing. Like, why would you ever sacrifice your art for time? Why wouldn't you spend more time on things or, you know, cause I only take like two or three weeks to actually make the album. Once I have the ideas, why, why wouldn't you sacrifice, why would you sacrifice time? Yeah. It's like, well, dude, that's what art is. It's sacrifice that, that, that you're, you're negotiating the, uh, the perfection that you'll never get in exchange for the amount of the limited finite amount of time that you have on earth. So your life is a deadline. So I love making deadlines for my art all the time. That's, that's the, the game. That's what the negotiation is. You're, you're trading perfection that you'll never get in exchange for the limited amount of time that you're, that you're renting and you, you got to get it done within that time. So I love deadlines. That for me, that's the name of the game. I get myself deadlines constantly because that, that's what art is. I, so I just, you know, yeah, that's awesome. Your new record, uh, when there's love around it, it features a full band. You've got a bunch of different players. Uh, I was excited to see Sam Wilkes's name in the credits. I always, I always dig what he does, but you've got guys like DJ Harrison and Andy McCauley, Josh Johnson, Will Logan, oh, yeah. uh, Jacob Mann, and others. But your, your first album was literally called Kicking It Alone. Um, I, w- I wonder how it has felt shifting into uh, a little bit more of a group mindset or a band leader mindset. Has that been a pretty, pretty fun process for you? Um, without meaning to, I think that that's, you know, been the, um, 
objective of my career the last four years, you know, first just making albums by myself because it was all I could afford to do. And because it was simpler and I was just trying to figure out the easiest way to make an album. And now, you know, but, and now working with a group because, you know, that's what I've always wanted to do. And it's, you know, that's what I'm used to doing growing up. I love working in a group. You know, I, I love being part of a team. I love leading a team. Um, it's something that I, I, um, I try to, yeah, I try to do it well. And, um, it's really fun that, you know, it's definitely more fun making it with other people. There's a lot less pressure, you know, uh, it's just it's easier. It's just easier. You, you, you know, especially when you work with, um, the, the caliber of musicians that I'm privileged to work with, you know, I was showing up to the studio with no ideas ahead of time and just being like, we're going to come up with three or four songs today. I'm going to come up with some chord changes and melodies. And then I'm going to ask each of you to kind of come up with your own part, right? Like I'll tell you what the chords are, but then you got to come up with like, you know, whatever baseline. So interesting them to write their parts. Um, a lot of the writing was done by them. And um, so it was a lot, a lot of fun. It's, you know, a little less work for me. And then, you know, I think uh, on the topic of leadership, uh, band leading, I think it's, um, I think one, one of the things I really value in my band leading style is I let people do what they do best. The job description does not determine what the people do. The people in the band determine their own job descriptions. And when, cause I've been in, you know, I've been in bands over the years where people will be like, Hey, Kiefer, I wrote this part for you. And it's very specific. You got to play it exactly this figure. And it's kind of like a Gerald Clayton thing. And I'm like, well, God damn, I can't play like that. Now I'm on the gig. I'm fucking up. Cause I'm uncomfortable. I'm nervous. I'm tense. Now I'm fucking up. Now I'm getting mad about it. Now I'm like resenting this gig. Like, God damn, like, I don't like this is not making me look good. You know, this is not even my shit. Like why, what the fuck? And then, you know, meanwhile, you know, there's a different way I could play the part that if you let me play it the way that I play it, well, shit, I'm going to sound good when I do it. Cause it's what I'm good at. I'm going to have fun doing it. And then I'm going to have feel a sense of ownership and pride over the part that I wrote. And I'm going to want to reflect it as well as possible. And now when shit's going well, I feel proud of what I wrote and I'm, I'm more a part of the group now. So I love giving the musicians in the band that, that stewardship over, what they do because then you get in this positive feedback loop of, you know, everyone's having fun. Everyone's doing what they like to do. Everyone's loose. So they're looking at each other. They're not just like stuck in their instrument, just trapped on stage, like struggling. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, you can hear that on the album. I think you can hear that shit's it's more than just effortless. I mean, people are just, they're playing beyond themselves a little bit on some of those tracks. Um, and I think it's really special. I think it's, you know, I think it's amazing. So, so when you get called in to work on an album like Certified Lover Boy, uh, how much freedom are you given in terms of what it is that you're going to bring to a track? You're you're on Knife Talk, right? Right. Yeah, um, dude. Literally ten seconds of music at the end of the song, but um, hey, it counts. It counts, baby. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the producer Forty just said, uh, "Hey, man, um, 
I found this clip off first. He, he had, I, he found a clip off my Instagram and he wanted to use that. And then he said, also send me, a, you know, some more ideas. Um, and you know, maybe we might use one of those. And, um, I sent him two ideas, just two. And I made them literally the first thing that came to mind. I just made one and then I made another and I sent him and I didn't think about it too much because, um, I don't know. That's kind of my artistic ethos. It's just like, I think the art is my art is me. It's like, it's like how it's just like me. It should sound like me walking and yeah. talking through the world, just naturally not overthinking it. Cause all the, all the thinking and the, the intention and the discipline that happens during practice time, during performance time, during record time, that should sound like me effortlessly just being me. Right. So I just made the first two ideas and I thought to myself, well, if he doesn't like them, he'll just ask for another one. And that'll take me another five minutes. So I just, yeah, I didn't think about it too much. And then he, he loved one of them because I think it sounded, I think it sounded really natural and, and beautiful and simple and, you know, hitting a, an emotion really directly because I wasn't trying to overcomplicate or overanalyze or, you know, I, I was literally just, it sounds effortless. Sounds simple. I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so on the topic of the Prophet 600, uh, you know, as a guy who, you know, you you talked about the upright and you talked about the sort of the purity of an instrument like that. Um, what does uh, utilizing a tool like the Prophet 600 allow you to do? How, how did you how did you first get into this particular synth? Yeah, I got into the Prophet 600 because I was. Uh, recording at the studio here in LA called Lucy's Meat Market, which is a really great studio here. A lot of people like to use. And um, the engineer, Pete, um, he had one. And he was explaining to me how the Prophet 600 is very similar to the Prophet 5. Um, it's not to be confused with the Prophet 6. The Prophet 600 is from 1982. So it, this is not um, a piece of gear that's um, currently being manufactured, but um, it's very similar to the Prophet Five. It's from a similar era. I think the Prophet Five. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it seventy-eight? Yeah, seventy-eight, seventy-nine. So and then up until eighty-four. So the Prophet Six Hundred is like was around at the same time. The main difference, as I understand it, is that the Prophet Five had had like a noise oscillator on it, whereas this one does not. And then I think for the most part, maybe, maybe there's some more sophisticated LFO routing you can do with a, with a five. Um, but I think for the most part, it's pretty much the same. Um, and then the way Pete described it to me was that the prophet 600 has a, the way he, the way he said a ruder tone. It sounds really rough, super bright, super brassy. And, um, yeah, and I really like that, you know, cause you can always just filter that stuff down anyway. Um, so yeah, it definitely sounds like really, really bright and kind of rough. Um, so I use it on a lot of stuff like, um, basically earthly things is all profit 600 sounds on it. Um, so yeah, I just really love it. And I, I use it for string sounds like, you know, those like eighties synth string sounds or, um, really bizarre lead synths or like bell sounds or plings and blips and things. It's really great.
Yeah, so I mean, it allows you to add all these different colors and tonal textures to what you do. Um, you know, synthesizers in in jazz are, uh, you know, they're certainly not unheard of. Um, I think of Herbie Hancock or, or certainly, you know, Miles Davis. Uh, and then a, a lot of the fusion guys, of course, synth was, was very, very common in fusion music. Did you have sort of an entry point in your head between the worlds of jazz and the sort of the, the world of synth? Uh, how did the, the things sort of align in, in your vision? Um, you know, I never really got into synths from jazz musicians at first. For me, it was more the electronic, um, I don't want to say like, maybe, maybe electronics is the right word, but just the, the producers in the low-end theory scene here in LA, uh, you know, like, you know, for me, like Mind Design, I really love Mind Design, uh, Fly Low, yeah. um, Sam I Am, uh, uh, Devin Who. The way Devin Who was using synths was definitely a really, you know, that really kind of turned me on to that. Making music with Mind Design um, and using his Yamaha DX5, that really kind of, you know, that, that was definitely the catalyst for me to start doing some of that stuff myself. So I got myself a DX7. That was the first synth I ever bought for myself. You know, real synth, not like a workstation, you know. And I started um, really playing with those sounds all the time. And, you know, because I mean, like before that, I, yeah, I had like a workstation and I would like make sounds like, you know, in my dorm room at college and shit. Or like even when I was a kid on GarageBand, but I never really knew what I was doing or I didn't really have that that passion for it the way that I did once I got to be like 23, 24. When, when I got that DX7, that really changed the game for me. Then I started playing synth sounds all the time. I you know, started to find out bass tones that I loved. And it's kind of funny that now I feel like I'm known for my bass tones. People who like my music really love my bass tones. But I, st- I feel like I just found this. Like it's, it's only been like five or so years of me playing bass tones that, you know, that I really like. So, um, well, I, I, I'm excited that the shows, you know, are going to be, are going to be happening and I'm sure it's going to feel good to, to play some music in front of people and, and, and get into all that. But yeah, the, the record is great. And, and I really have enjoyed, uh, getting a chance to, to speak with you a little bit about it. And I'm a big fan of the whole sort of scene you're aligned with, you know, like I love the leaving records guys. And I love that out there in LA, it feels like so many lines that used to separate genres from hip hop to jazz to new age to soul, you know, it just feels like all that stuff is just sort of melting away. And there's this really interesting thing happening where it's just all sorts of, uh, it's just all sorts of things that sound wonderful together and sound organically connected so it's it's cool to see you as a, as a part of that well thank you i really appreciate that i yeah i love all the sounds coming out of la and it's uh it's an honor to be a part of it you know i really really love it that's Kiefer, and you are listening to wastoids thanks for joining us you can find more microdose audio and video over at wastoids.com and of course you can give us a call if something's on your mind one eight seven seven wastoids that's the hotline number call and tell us a story we get all sorts of calls about all kinds of things calls like this one i know every detail about the phoenix lights i was driving from apache junction to paradise valley it was the greatest experience ever so give me a ring 
You can find Wastoids on Instagram and Twitter. Give us a follow. And until next week, keep your eyes and ears on Wastoids. <laughs>